Queer Rights Sessions, QWS Podcast, in partnership with Blarney Books and Art in Port Ferry. I'm your host, Rob, aka RWR McDonald, and this is a Words and Nerds spin-off series. Thanks, Danny! I'm coming to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Each month, QWS Podcast will bring you reviews, shout-outs of LGBTIQA plus writers, and feature an interview with a queer writer from our rainbow communities. And now on with the show. Jeremy Loughlin was born and raised on Wiradjuri country in Griffith, New South Wales. A former bookseller, he completed his honours degree in creative writing at the University of Canberra in 2004 and now calls Sydney home. His debut novel, Jane Doe and the Cradle of All Worlds, has been published in over 15 countries around the world, translated into nine languages, and was the 2019 Australian Book Industry Award winner for Book of the Year for Older Children. Its second part, Jane Doe and the Key of All Souls, was shortlisted for the same award in 2021. But all of this pales in comparison to the $100 he took home in a karaoke competition. Book three in the series, Jane Doe and the Quill of All Tales, the start of a new epic duology, is out now. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. So, so wonderful to be here. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you. And um, we start, Jeremy, an opening question, which is, how has your work influenced your identity? It's, it's an interesting question, that one. I think, for me, it's more a matter of flipping that of how my identity has shaped my work. For me, I mean, this series has been such a huge part of my life for 16 years now. I started writing way back in 2007. At that point, I was still very much in the closet. And a lot of people don't realise this, but my book was originally called Finn Pigeon and the Cradle of All Worlds. The hero of the the story was a boy. Uh, For the first, like, seven, eight years, um, and... Way back in the beginning, I, I wanted to have queer representation in, in my book. I wanted to have that uh, a queer romance bubbling away in the background, but I felt that making Finn gay would have effectively outed me to my family and friends, and I, and I wasn't anywhere near ready for that. So I thought back then, okay, I'll have a, I'll have a supporting character be gay somewhere, uh, yeah. and, and I, I kind of parked that because there were things I wasn't ready to face. I, was, I also had a lot of family stuff going on at the time. My dad was sick, and I, I just felt like... Me then turning around to my family and going, hey, guys, I'm gay. Would, would it just, at the time, it just felt like it was all a bit too much. Yeah. Um, so then I wrote the book. It took me about six years to get a, a final finished draft. Uh, and then when I started at shopping it around to publishers and agents, two publishers had said to me, because it's a boy-focused adventure, it should be very much younger, middle grade. They wanted me to effectively halve it in size, get rid of all the scary bits and, and really tone it down a lot. Wow. And I did try uh one of i even had a face-to-face meeting with this publisher and i thought oh my gosh i'm, I'm, I'm going to be published like this was a big deal and yeah. so i was so desperate to be published i did try to cut it down and and tone it down but i was losing all of my favorite bits and it was becoming a story that i didn't want it to be so i thought hang on if you if you take that side note i think it's ridiculous this idea that there are boy stories and girl stories and all that there are just stories i, I want to make that that clear but i thought this 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 weird uh thing of oh, okay because it's boy focused should be very much younger middle grade does that mean if i make it a girl focused adventure i can keep the length i can keep the scary bits and all that so i i talked to my female friends about it just about changing the pronouns because i didn't want to rewrite the character entirely uh and we agreed that it kind of make for a really interesting exercise and it did. It, it, Jane just leapt from the page. Once Once I changed it from boy to a girl, she leapt from a page I really wasn't 
uh, in a way I really wasn't expecting. Uh, it well and truly became her story. Uh, every all all of the kind of cheesy jokes and all that they just for some reason just kind of fit more. So then I was left with that question: because I've changed the hero from a boy to a girl, do I change the love interest from a girl to a boy? And I tried for about ten minutes. And I was like, nope, that's not that's not happening because Violet it was was has always been one of my favourite characters and yeah. was is has been a fan favourite for from from day dot even from my family and friends before it had been published, um, and her her voice just didn't work her character didn't work as a guy and I had this this moment of like oh my god because during that time I had come out I, yeah. I was more comfortable in my skin as a, as a gay man as a, as a member of the queer community and uh, I thought oh my gosh this is this is it I can have a queer relationship, one that's, I used to say normalised, but I don't like saying that because it makes it seem like being queer is somehow abnormal, but more more accepted. And have that as the, the main kind of relationship bubbling away in the background. It is first and foremost an action-adventure fantasy tale, but there is this queer element running through because you can't have a, a grand epic adventure without a little bit of love. Uh, in yeah, the, you got that romance there. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that's kind of how it, how it happened. So getting back to the original question, I, I guess it is... I guess it's both uh, because it, it it was uh, such a huge part of my life and running alongside all of this and maybe writing the story uh, as writers, we are delving so much into our own imagination, our own psyche. Maybe that did stir up some things and make me more comfortable uh, in some ways. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure. That's great. And uh, it's it's so great to hear the the origins because um, congratulations on uh, on your new book and on the series. I absolutely love it. And um, Thank you so much. I mean, Jane is such a brilliant character. So you, to hear that, you know, that evolution of how she came to be and Violet as well and all of them. And can I just say your world building, and, like all of that is so incredible. Um, oh, thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. So what I'll do is for our for our listeners, um, I just wanted to read the blurb of Jane Doe at Quillable Tales. Um, yep. So- uh, so it's the latest blockbuster entry in the best-selling Jane Doe Chronicles. Jane Doe is no ordinary girl. A child of three ancient gods, she can control the manor, a sacred realm between worlds. Lately, though, it seems the manor's been controlling her, and she's terrified of what that could mean. But when Jane discovers she's the rightful heir to a powerful long-lost relic, she must cast her fears aside and journey through the manor to find it. The relic, the Phantom Quill, is said to grant visions of every future in every world. In the right hands, a tool for good. In the wrong hands, a weapon of chaos. And a dangerous cult is already hot on its trail. Heed the call, walk the path, a new adventure dawn. Jane Doe and the Quill of All Tales is out now, published by Hardy Grant's Children's Publishing. Amazing, because we finished the duology, and you're like, oh, I wonder what, what adventure's next. And, yeah, we're just... In a, in a way, it reminds me, and not not the content, but just the concept of Buffy and how every oh, wow. every um, <laughs> season it just ups the ante, right? And you go to this next thing, and it's bigger, and it's yeah, and done this with the Quillable Tales, like where oh, we've got you. all those elements, we've got those characters that we absolutely love. Winifred Robin, she's just stellar <laughs> in this book. Um, and yeah, it was, I, I love I love Winifred. And she was, for those of you who, who've read this, for those who haven't, uh, Winifred kind of is Jane's Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of <laughs> uh, figure, but she's 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 quite cocky and arrogant. She's been built up as the, the biggest adventurer of all time kind of thing. And she's this old woman who's very powerful. I just wanted to have this presence of of an old person but yeah. have them, them strong and, and be like she's this walking embodiment of awesomeness and, and adventure kind of thing 
Uh, so to, and she was it was always the plan that she was she has a strong presence in books one and two, but mm. she actually goes along for the ride this time. And yeah, thank mm. you for that. I mean, what an, what an honour being compared to Buffy in any way. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it's one of those things. It's two duologies. So so books one and two cover Jane's Cradle Quest. This is the start of a brand new quest. It was an interesting experience writing it because I didn't have to set up the characters or the world anymore. I had to kind of remind people, and I was very proud of the way I uh, kind of recapped the adventure yeah. of book yeah. one and two uh, in, in Quill of All Tales. But of course, the pandemic hit when I was writing this one. So I, I always thought it was going to be the easy one, and it turned into one of the hardest books to write of all just because I found lockdown so difficult. Yeah. But to come out the other end of it with something that I'm so genuinely proud of, you know, I couldn't leave my apartment, but I could let my imagination soar, and, and I upped the kind of the humour of it as well because I, I feel yeah. like people, just wanting joyous reads at the moment too. Absolutely. And I love with Winifred that, yeah, that generational effect that, that she brings, but also I just love the um, dynamic between her and Jane. Like, you know, Jane just, it, she rubs her up the wrong way and and yet Winifred, it's just like water off a duck's back. It's so brilliant, which just sort of... Oh, thank you. That, and that, that's very much drawn from the kind of the, the Indiana Jones kind of stuff because you, you've got your hero and the sidekicks making them as as foils. So in, in book one, Jane's main sidekick is is Hickory and they they butt heads yeah, a lot. Hickory's yeah. constantly balancing, walking that line between light and dark. In book two, we've, we I introduce Elsa, who's a, a, an old drunk, and uh, but she holds all the answers and she's battling, yeah. a, a battling light and dark as well. In this one, I love the idea of playing with this, uh, one of Jane's sidekicks uh, along, along for the ride this time is so capable but perhaps brashly so, and, and yeah. leads them into trouble because she figures she she knows everything. Because she's also she is she is an old woman, but she and she is still absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, but what, what what what's that like to have a more heroic person along for the ride with your hero? Yeah, absolutely loved it, and um, and of course Aki, oh, I love Aki. Um, <laughs> Same. So have you heard from readers who have been there, like right from you know book one who? who now have this new adventure. And um, you mentioned, and this was uh, before we were recording, about your recent festival appearances and, and seeing your readers face-to-face. How's that been? It is honestly the best thing. And that's why I, I feel like, I, I feel a bit sorry in a way for authors who write purely for adults because they miss out on engaging with young readers because it, it truly is an extraordinary thing uh in some ways i think young people are better readers than than adults uh they when they love something they just love it wholeheartedly and want to and want to share it with you and the world uh and when they ask questions they're not asking questions because they want to hear the sound of their own voice or try and seem smart they just genuinely want to know something it comes from a place in here in, in their heart in their soul kind of thing and to meet and engage with readers who have been there from day one uh is is really great because some of the they've grown up now it's it's that Isn't thing of amazing. some of them I met when Cradle came out, when book one came out, and they were finishing primary school and, and dressing up as Jane Doe for, for book week. And now they, they rock up to the signing table and they're in their mid-teens. And they talk about it in the same vein as as some of the like the Star Wars nerds. Like, I grew up with this. And, and that, amazing. for me, just absolutely blows my mind every single time. So that's wonderful. But also meeting the, the new readers who uh, have just heard about me and the series, the fact that they now have the chance to dive in and have three books ready to go. They don't have to wait between each one. That's that's really exciting. And recently I appeared at Sydney Writers' Festival Secondary School Days and the, the turnout was just 
absolutely phenomenal. The teams were incredible. And particularly my main takeaway from it was that the queer students coming up to me, some of them who had been there from day one, some of them who just heard of me on that, on that day, the queer joy they have and express is just out of this world and something so foreign to me uh, compared to my, my high school experience. I, I graduated high school. I was in Buffy's year, actually. I, was, I graduated 99, so that's that. <laughs> and, of course, bullying still happens, and for some kids it is, such a, it, it is still a big deal coming out, and some of them still can't. I don't want to make it seem like it's all kind of sunshine and, and daisies, mm. but so many kids were coming up to me in the line stating proudly that they were gay, lesbian, bi, trans, thanking me for the accepted slash normalised representation in the books because that's what they're used to. That is that is their world. And I think it's an interesting thing in queer lit community. There is, I've, I've certainly felt a little bit of an outsider as if my book isn't gay enough to be considered queer fiction. I'm, I'm never invited to appear on queer panels or anything like that because it's not a coming out story. It's not a story steeped in tragedy. And I'm not saying that coming out stories aren't important. I think they are and they always will be. Yeah. But I think it's also vitally important to have queer stories out there where the character's sexuality isn't the point of the story, uh, to show kids, you know, show readers, but particularly kids, that queer kids get to save the day as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and Because this is the reality for so many of them out there now, that it, it, it is accepted. Uh, and it's not, it's yeah. not a big deal, even though for some people it obviously still is and will be for, for some time to come. For a lot yeah. of them, it's just, it's just life, and they want to see that reflected in the yeah. story. And I think you do it beautifully, and it's almost, I don't want to use the, the term post-homophobic or post-transphobic, but you've set this this world where this relationship happens naturally. No, there's, you know, there isn't that homophobic response from any characters. It's just this is Jane's love interest. And I imagine that for those kids who are having a tough time, being able to escape with Jane into this world and see what it, the world should be and how the world is for them internally, I think is huge. And I think that's an, it's amazing what you've done there. And, oh, thank you. and, and like you say, there are, of course, there's this place for, for coming out and, and trauma, trauma stories, but we're also as a community where, you know, we want stories. We want all stories. Like why? Exactly. We? There's more, there's more to being uh, gay than coming out. There, there's life, yeah. there's life kind of beyond, beyond that. And um, I think as well, one of the things that I'm very proud of is the fact that it's a safe space for so many young people. I, for example, would have, wouldn't have felt safe walking around my country high school carrying a copy of Heartstopper um, yeah. because basically I would have felt like this is a beacon saying I'm, I'm gay and, I, and I, wasn't, I wouldn't have been ready for that. I would have felt weird bringing it home. I like the fact that with the Jane Doe series, a kid can carry it around, a queer kid can carry it around and still feel seen and have that little flicker of, of, of recognition, of, of representation within there. But also, it, it, like I say, it is principally a, a, an action-adventure fantasy mm. story. Uh, and these kids, uh, you know, there are some kids out there who, who it wouldn't be safe for them to take Heartstopper home. No. Um, you know, no. it, it simply wouldn't be. Uh, but the fact that Jane Doe and, and books like it, can, the, the, it is something that they could carry around and take home and, and parents, uh, siblings, friends wouldn't necessarily think, oh, that's the gay book that you're reading. You must be, you must be gay. So that, that's something I'm very, I'm very proud of as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. With the action, I mean, you're very, very good at, at 
like writing action, does that sort of go on in your head all the time? <laughs> you know, there's explosions and there's trains and Thank dinosaurs you. and it's just amazing. Thank you. It's something that I, I wish I, I got to talk about more. There is an art to creating a good action sequence. Yeah. And I've definitely learnt a lot of it. For example, in, in book one, uh, there's a big uh, runaway train sequence in the middle of the book. It's a huge set piece. Uh, and originally it was about 30 pages long. Uh, which is oh, wow. which is way too long, and people <laughs> read, were exhausted reading it because that's that's one of the main things with with action sequences. Obviously, it's got to be pacey and sharp and everything, but they can outstay their welcome very quickly because as soon as a reader's, if you're throwing too much at a reader, their eyes will start to glaze over. So it's about getting in there, making it count, and then just ending it, leaving them wanting more because it's all about that pace to lead a reader through the story. So give them an an epic ride end it on, a, on an amazing beat and then have that bit of a lull where the characters kind of come together again. And that's the other thing. A, a, an action sequence should always push the story in a new direction, whether it's plot-wise or character-wise or something like that. So it's a chance for reflection from the characters. A bit of a, a breather for the reader is always super important. It's very much all about the kind of up and down ride. And yeah. the down is just as much important as the up. Um, but, yeah, I do have them in my head all the time. That's where I, again, getting back to Quill, it was so exciting being able to finally sit down and write this because some of the action sequences have been in my head for a decade uh, and just finally being able to, and it was the same with book two, uh, you know, the desert action sequence. I set things up in book one and, and then kind of 10, 11 years later, I'm finally getting to do the payoff. It's a long journey, but it's, it's absolutely worth it. I, I love the action sequences and I've got yeah. some great ones coming up for book four as well. Don't know if you can say, but sort of roughly when could we expect book four? Uh, Time-wise, uh, we haven't locked it in 100%, so I can't say yeah. that, but I, I'm, yeah. I'm about 22,000 words in at the moment of 80,000 words. Uh, I'd love to get it finished by the end of this year to hopefully be published end of next year. Another thing which uh, blew my mind is you have all these worlds and within them, languages how did you go about creating whole new languages that, that blows oh, away. Well, I think I've never actually been asked that before because and it's not it's not a um Hulking level uh, creating a language for a book something that I was very conscious of during the book is going to these different worlds not wanting to be steeped in imperialism colonism and and, and all of that because that's you, you, have, you have to face it at some point that your favourite things that can be problematic and, and the adventure genre in the past has been de deeply problematic and, and all about people from imperialist nations going to these distant dark worlds and saving the people yeah. there and, and all of that. And, and stealing their... Um, and stealing the artefacts and, <laughs> artifacts and coming back. And, yeah. I, and I, it's something that I wanted to tease throughout the, the series because if I put it all into book one, it just would there would have been nowhere to go. So I laid the groundwork for it in book one where Jane, uh, in, the, in the first part of book one, is uh, listening to a story from the mayor, Atlas, uh, and he's just a, a jerk and he's telling her essentially that he went and had this grand epic quest and saved all these people and then he took their most sacred item back and that was the, the item that he was going to use to sacrifice Jane. I feel like some readers thought of that, you know, some readers see it at that as an endorsement to say that's what I, that I, I'm like, no, I, I thought I made it very clear that he's the villain of that, of that part and yeah. I'm not saying that that should be done and Jane despises the guy. Um, maybe I should have had a line in there saying, I I do not endorse it. Particularly when I got to, because book one, a lot, most of it takes place in the manor, just with Jane, Hickory and Violet. Book two, once I got out to Arakan, the desert world, Roth's home world, I re that's when I really had to think carefully about how I was representing the, the cultures of these different worlds. 
And Hickory became my vehicle to really voice this idea of, well, what right do these people have to go to these different worlds? Yeah. Uh, but then it also became almost that, so Black Panther did a, a similar thing with like, yes, you, you've got this power. Shouldn't you share it with the world and help? If you have the power to help people, shouldn't you? But there's a difference between doing that and, and this, this imperialist kind of notion. So Hickory became, I think, he kind of, uh, as the story's going along, he's saying, well, why, we shouldn't even be here kind of thing. Yeah. And I introduce it again in book three where Jane's walking through the Museum of Otherworldly Antiquities at the beginning. She has a conversation with her dad saying, you know, they, all these relics that are here, they're just here gathering dust. Shouldn't we return them back to their homes? Because I think of the British Museum and yeah. a lot of that should be returned to the to the countries from which they were, air quotes, gifted. Uh, you know, Absolutely. Stolen 100%. Um, so, yeah, and lang the language in those other worlds formed a different element of that. So not wanting it to be nonsense, uh, not wanting to draw from a particular culture directly. What I would do was, uh, you know, there's, the, there's Google Translate. And because I unfortunately only speak English, I would pick random languages, like what I want to say and pick random, always at, at random for different parts of the world to see what the translated word is. And I'd take that word, but then change a few letters mm -hmm. um, to make it work. That was kind of my way of. It's amazing because I've like I've listened to the audio book, and you know the narrator is so good. Like when they're, they're speaking the language, it sounds so good. Oh, uh, like... thank you, Wendy. Wendy Boss is the narrator, and we we always have a chat before recording uh, to go through the pronunciation of things because I have it in my mind, and and and, yeah, and wow. she's she's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. That's incredible. But it, I mean, obviously that thought and design, like it really comes across in the books because each world is different. And yeah, you really do get that across that these are them cultures, that these Jane and co are outsiders, um, not to give any spoilers about book three. It's done beautifully and it just adds to that whole, that's what I was saying right at the beginning, just hats off to you for, for your world builds. Literally you're building so many worlds and they're all unique and just just incredible thank you I, I feel i feel like a huge part of world building is making it relatable for, for people so uh in descriptions uh you know I've, i i drew very much from my time i went to borneo for, for a month years and years ago and yeah. that's kind of primary rainforest this jungle that actively kind of actively feels like it's trying to kill you uh i went to the danum valley which is this Primary rainforest never been touched, and it's leech infested, uh, and oh, it's wow. not a it's not a comfortable place to be, like a, a full on jungle. Uh, and that I definitely drew from that experience writing the jungles of Viru Three. I'm very thankful that the books are out there, and I hear from people all around the world who feel an attachment to these stories. I'm, I'm very very fortunate. That's brilliant. And look, you mentioned before about the importance of accepted LGBTQIA plus representation in fiction and especially kids fiction. What are you seeing at the moment? I think the world or particularly the Western world with social media and just the level of transphobia and things that are happening. You mentioned before the podcast about Sharon Hungry, are your books published over there, or yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty wild. I mean, first of all, to your first point, just the attacks on trans people and the book banning going on in the states and everything. It's I mean, I feel like we're just we're going to constantly be stuck in this pendulum, ten steps forward and then a few steps back, and then hopefully it's all progressing towards more more acceptance. But people are afraid, uh, and as it, when they shouldn't be. Yes, let's face it, there is nothing to fear from drag time story hour kind of thing. But yeah, it, it's been an interesting experience for me. So in Russia, my, my, my books are published in Russia, uh, and which I was very 
surprised to learn that they wanted them because when my publishers were first shopping the book around, uh, I went to one of the book fairs, it was either London or Frankfurt, uh, or that they took my book to there and, and, a, and a whole bunch of countries bought the rights, which was super exciting. Um, but my publishers had warned me quite early on to say that, uh, and, and, and of course it would have been a difficult conversation with, for them to broach because nobody likes telling people these sorts of things, but they did it beautifully. My publisher, Marisa Pintado, was was wonderful, just saying, look, Jem, there's a there's a high chance we won't get published in a lot of uh, a lot of countries around the world, even though it is just a subplot for, for a lot of countries that it, it, it won't be acceptable. Uh, sometimes you, you, know, you had that thought of, oh, maybe if I hadn't had that, I would have been published in even more countries. But I, I, I do not. I'm so happy with the, the way things have gone. But yeah. anyway, in, in Russia, um, I knew that the publication date was approaching and I hadn't heard anything because I knew from just reading the news that they have pretty... Uh, strict anti-gay laws over there. Putin, who is a dick, as we all know, uh, has introduced these very strict anti-gay laws mm. over there. And I hadn't heard anything about it. So uh, they, my publisher reached out to my Russian publishers and said, you know, are we, are we all good? They came back and said, actually, would you mind changing, this, changing it? What? Originally, there, there was a Chinese publisher who, who expressed interest when book one first came out and they balked and, and, and backed off because at that point I was like, oh, no, I... I I can't change my myself, you know, it's my, my artistic integrity, my integrity as a queer person, all, all that kind of stuff. But as, as a few years went by and or a couple of years went by and then I, I started to think more about Russia and I just thought if, if, if every gay person, queer person says, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to change it, what are the queer kids over there going to get to read? What content are they getting over there? And I reached out to two uh, queer authors. One of them said... I wouldn't change it and I fully respect that view. The other was more aligned with me of is there a way to find a way to tweak the story so that it's not visibly queer, it's not on the page, but it's between the lines to make it it so that queer kids are over there the same way that I had to and I'm assuming you had to when we were growing up. We, yeah. we, weren't, we just didn't have the queer content that we do now. And you had to yeah. read between lines. Like maybe Batman and Robin are kind of in some kind of... Yeah, like, so that coded, coded sort of thing? Or... Yeah, so, so in the Russian edition, Jane and Violet are just great friends. But I, I did sneak in a little reference in my acknowledgements. I have this kind of running gag uh, saying to my future husband who isn't yeah. here yet, how dare you not be here for this and you owe me cake, lots of cake. So we so we kept that in the Russian one. So just buried in the back, like a very tiny mention. So I'm hoping that kids over there will read the book and read the acknowledgements uh, and see that and think, oh, he's this dude's gay. Maybe maybe that I was right in my feeling that there's more to hear than just just friendship. In Hungary, on the other hand, uh, their prime minister Orbán is just as awful as Putin. Uh, they have very strict anti-gay laws over there. But my Hungarian publisher didn't want to change the book. They decided to publish mm-hmm. as is, which is very, very bold of them. And I have nothing against my, my Russian publisher because I know that publishers and, and readers over there want change. They don't yeah. agree yes. with yes. the yes. they're in. But, yeah, I was very, very proud of my Hungarian publishers uh, for keeping it as is. But get this. So over in Hungary, my book, this action-adventure fantasy with just a little queer subplot in there, completely age-appropriate everything. Like, spoiler alert, there's, there's a little kiss at the end of book two. My book over in Hungary cannot be sold within 200 metres of a church or a school. Oh, my God. So in a city like Budapest, where there is a church or a school on basically every block, it's a very calculated move because it wipes out the entire city effectively. Wow. So I think it's, a, you know, it's an important reminder for 
all of us in in a country like Australia where we can go into bookshops and there are queer sections and, and all that kind of stuff. It's so progressive compared to so many other places in the world. That's not to say there isn't rampant homophobia yeah. and yeah. things going on here. But it's it's an important reminder there are countries where people are really having to fight the good fight to just get these books into the hands of readers. I chatted to my, my Hungarian translator, he's a gay man. He'd, he'd effectively been kind of blacklisted for a, a picture book he'd uh, written years ago, uh, which had a trans element in it. And so it, it's a really eye-opening experience. When I tell kids, uh, high school students here and, and, and primary school students about that situation in Hungary, they all just, they, they can't believe it. It's like, oh, what? Um, yeah, because then those poor kids in terms of school libraries, they don't, they're not going to have access to so many, even if they could get the librarians could get it in, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, like you say, it's sort of 10 steps forward and, and a few steps back and it is that pendulum that keeps swinging and obviously we just had the news recently about Uganda and what's going on there and it's just like the fight is far over. Yeah, ab- yeah. absolutely. But this is where, you know, again, the, the importance of queer art and queer fiction uh, because I see it in the eyes of these kids coming up to me. After Sydney Writers' Festival, I went up to the Central Coast to do the Ripples Writers' Festival and this uh, young woman, a teenager, came up to me uh, just quietly and said that, thanked me because my, she said my books gave her the courage to come out to her family, come out to her family. So that, that kind of, you hear that and obviously inside I'm just going, what, that's incredible and that's so cool. But it was, it was kind of a somber, somber moment and you, you meet, you, my, my thing is to always meet kids and teens at the level with which they engage with you. And, but you, you see it in their eyes just how free so many of them are compared to what, we were or certainly what I was yeah. what my kids were when we were in high school and so the change is coming I feel like this next generation are absolutely incredible and they will they will make big changes uh, well, I, I absolutely agree I couldn't agree yeah more I think they're they're amazing their whole mindset is so so different and they're so educated across gender expression and sexuality at like to use that normalized word but for them at the old-fashioned values make no sense to them at all which is <laughs> exciting in terms of hope for the world for sure yeah absolutely well, another another student said as as they were leaving um just all right see you later hopefully next time i see you i will have transitioned and waving and, and their friends yeah. were all yeah like just that, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's support and, and and love there that and and again that's not to say that bullying isn't isn't happening that's still a yeah. very very real thing actually speaking of uh, children coming up to me and just saying stuff i, I mentioned the acknowledgements how I, I have a running gag to my future husband i now have this small army of children just hoping that i get my shit together and find a guy oh, <laughs> two little enough. girls come up to me at sydney writers festival a couple of years back saying oh have you found your husband yet <laughs> And I'd be like, no, uh, you're worse than my mum, back off. Um, but with, with book three, I realised, because I don't want to send this message that having a husband, having a man is the ultimate, yeah. uh, is the end game. Because like, oh, what am, what am I doing? So in book three, in the acknowledgements, I say, you know what, I don't need you. I, I can make my own cake and, and I'm good. I'm good. Um, uh, yeah, I love that. And for listeners <laughs> who haven't read Jeremy's books yet, yeah, you have to you have to stick around for the acknowledgements because... <laughs> Each time, and yeah, I was I, when I heard it this time, I was like, "Yes, go, Jeremy!" Yeah, Our parents have actually reached out by, by Instagram, so that their son said to her, "Oh, I, I can't wait to read Jeremy's next book to find out if he has a husband yet." <laughs> <laughs>
And now we have our book review with Joe from Blarney Books and Art in Port Ferry. Hello, Joe. Good morning, Rob. And what book do you have for us today? Well, I have a fabulous book. It's called Didn't Nobody Give a Shit What Happened to Carlotta? James Hanaham from Brooklyn. Very much literary fiction. It's a completely unique voice. Carlotta, she's just served a 20-plus years sentence in prison for a crime that she didn't actually commit. She went into prison as a man, Dustin, and transitioned to Carlotta over her prison time. Yeah. Um, so she was stuck in a men's prison and often in solitary confinement. The book opens with her meeting her parole board after 20-odd years in prison, and she's hoping that this time her parole isn't rejected. It opens with the stress of her trying to talk to the parole officers about why she should be released. It's very good at exposing how horrible prisons are, but on top of that, how impossible the system is for someone to negotiate. And one of the stipulations for her parole is that she's not allowed to be near alcohol. Right. And that's just setting anybody up for failure. As dark and as bleak and everything else as it sounds, it's actually got a ripper sense of humour running through it. It's uh -huh. very, very funny as well. Um, and can you tell us a bit more about James Hanahan? I did a little bit of research into him. He's, I think he's a professor at a university, a gay man himself. He has a partner. There was a lovely article I saw James Hanahan had written for a tourist magazine, I think, because he and his partner are biracial. They travel together and people don't know whether they're friends or lovers or what the story is. So they talk about the countries that they can go to as gay men. We'll put that in the show notes, a link to that article. Do you, who do you, any comparable titles? No, uh, well, it's all, most of the book is happening within 24 hours. So oh, wow. it's her getting out of jail and meeting with her family again and everybody coming to terms or not with Carlotta herself. And yeah. she has a son, five, when she went into jail. So he's now you know, mid-twenties and a little bit angry. And he he really struggles with Carlotta. His his way of talking to Carlotta becomes his Christianity will save her. But um, uh, it's, it's surprising and wonderful. And Carlotta is a person that you will never forget. She's James Hanahan's given her such a personality. You just want to keep reading about her. I'd read a second book on her if I could. Oh, wow. That's a fantastic recommendation. And Carlotta, also while she was in jail, there was a particular warden who abused her constantly and oh. abused her in quite a sick way. So that comes up as a thread through it as well. That no one was looking after her. No one was protecting her. Yeah. And there was nowhere for her to go. Yeah, so and she had to stay in a men's prison that whole time mm -hmm. with an abusive correctional officer. Mm. Yeah, so it, it's dark. It's really, really dark, but it's also really, really, really fun. Oh, it it's looks fantastic! I want to get it. some kind of a miracle with this book. That's brilliant. It's written in style, yeah. so the sentences run run into each other, and it's almost stream of consciousness. Well, it is stream yeah. of consciousness with a lot of it. So, yeah, excellent, wonderful, wonderful book.
That's brilliant. And it looks very Instagrammable, which is really important. <laughs> I guess. I <laughs> no, I want to I want to read that straight away. It looks uh, sounds amazing and what a story. Yeah. Didn't nobody give a shit what happened to Carlotta by James Hanahan. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Bookseller over in Perth got in touch to say that when her son was reading Cradle, book one, um, he came up to her and said, oh, mama, I think Jane's a lesbian. And she, they hadn't had kind of a, a talk uh, about this yet. And she was like, oh, 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 are you okay with that? And he just, he just looked at her and shrugged and said, well, yeah. And they had a whole conversation and she learned through this conversation that he'd had a whole conversation with his friends about it. And it had opened a window into her son's life Brilliant. Uh, as well. So that it's, it's really cool for the parents are kind of embracing it all as well. And so do you see that there's more positive uh, representation now in kids' literature for, for queer characters, or do you think there's still a way to go? Where, which, where do you sort of see the, I guess, the market? At? I think it's all, I mean, in a way, it's a very in thing at the moment, which is it's a, it's a gross thing to say, but you know, it's a, the, the publicity machine and the marketing, it, 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 is a, it is a thing, and you see it every Pride Month. Um, queer books are, uh, and queer art, queer everything is is very much champion, which is which is great. It's always a little bit depressing at the end of the month when <laughs> I was like, okay, back to normal now. Yeah, um, put, it, put it back in the cupboard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think oh, I mean it, it's so different to when I was a kid. Just polar opposites. Uh, the amount yeah. of choice. I, I think we can always do better. We can always do more. And this is a you know I, I think there are conversations still to be had within the queer community and and, and everything as well. We're we're all learning and growing. The, the learning never stops. Yeah. Um. And but it, it's all definitely headed in the right direction. Sure. Yeah. Great. Which is a nice segue for what is your hope for Jane Doe and the Quill of All Tales being? Out? Um. Well, I think I've already I've already felt that hope realised, which is just for it to find a readership. My my. It's a tricky thing with writing sequels, I, I think, because even though it's book three, it is technically the sequel. It's the start of the second story. It's a delicate balance. You need to surprise the readers, but also give them exactly what they want and are expecting. For it's, it's like, I mean, James, the James Bond series suffers this, I think, more than more than anything. It's walking this very fine line between surprising viewers and giving them exactly what they want of yeah. hitting all those beats and and I definitely felt that going into into this I wanted to surprise people it would have been too easy to write a sequel that was just okay now they're going to find some other some other random artifact across a different world and it, it become a longer like the Jane Doe books need to be the pinnacle of these these this adventure civilization of, of Blue Haven the trick for me was delving even deeper into the mythology of the makers, the, the divine beings who created the manor, and delving into the mythology of Jane herself. Keep it very much based in, on, a, on a character journey yeah. uh, as well as this external journey with all the kind of bells and whistles and all the fun action adventure jungle tropes and, and all of that. But to fact, the fact that I've now, it's, it's only, it came out in, in March, so it's only been out a couple of months now, but I've already heard from pre-existing fans saying that they they love it but i've also had new, uh, new readers uh, who have just started book one because they've seen book three come out oh brilliant yeah so that that for me has my, my hope has kind of been realized i'd obviously love uh, uh um uh, an adaptation to happen at some point a tv series or a, yeah. or a movie I think a series on a streaming service would be fantastic i'd love to see it because I am such a movie geek and I see them as film in my, in my mind. Oh, it's one yeah, so visual. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We're working on that. 
but no hard and fast kind of things to celebrate yet, but keep Okay, good. Yeah, yeah I would love to see it on screen. It would be amazing. Um, yeah, but like yeah, I think with any hope, it's just finding finding a readership, pleasing existing fans, and finding news, and, and that I yeah. feel I feel like it's happening. I do kind of stay away from the numbers game. A lot of people say, oh. ask me, how's it how's it going? I said to my publishers very early on with Cradle, look, I, do, I don't want updates on sales. I find yeah. I've, I've seen and I know I know authors who become obsessed with that side of it, and I think it's a quick path to heartbreak. I, I see just the way they. Know, like behave in the industry and the the things yeah. they talk about it like uh, I, 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 I it's it's a gross side that i don't for me it, it's more about focusing on the art and the readers and that's i think more yeah yeah I, I couldn't agree more absolutely and then you've got the the absolute beauty of it, it existing in school libraries and in libraries so you know it's about the readers right it really is about the readers um, and yeah, if you get hung absolutely. up on royalties and as book sales. Yeah, I think you're kind of missing the the point. Yeah, and obviously, obviously, it's also come from you know we we need to. It'd be great to earn some money while doing it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Important. And thankfully, we have our ELR and PLR public yes, thank scheme, which is incredible. And and I know I'm in a kind of a privileged position talking about about all of this, but um, yeah, I just it, it, I think it's important to block out the noise that the, the yeah. publishing industry is so often set up to make us feel like we're in competition with each other or constantly make us feel like we haven't done enough in terms yeah. of our own publicity, our own book sales, all that kind of stuff. And with the increase of social media, social media reliance and everything, it's all taking us more away from the art itself. And that is where the most important element of it is or should be. Um, so I think it's important to just block out the noise as much as possible, focus on your work. and yeah, Absolutely, the which is a brilliant segue to a question, Jeremy Lachlan, that we ask all our guests, which is a writing question, um, which is around any advice or top tips for aspiring writers or storytellers. Uh, I mean, the, the, the most often one people say is read, 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 and that's 100% true. I actually find it difficult to read when I'm writing. Uh, I, I, I always balk at that a little bit because I, I'm so focused on my own stuff. I feel very guilty because there are so many books I need to read. One of the things I say to young, to young aspiring authors is stay curious. For me, one of the driving forces of my creative process is the, the what ifs. That it's the simple question that drives all of my storytelling and uh, I think staying curious, asking those what if questions, no matter what, no matter when, no matter where, just to, to stir that imagination, because so much of it is finding your own voice. And when you're uh, an aspiring author, if you, I mean, Cradle was the first book I ever set out to write, and it, it took me a long time to, to, to finally get it done. And then many, many edits, the, the early drafts, of course, they're terrible. Um, so I think it's it's asking those what if questions, staying curious, but also letting yourself make mistakes, getting the the bad words down onto the page. It doesn't have to be perfect, doesn't have to be fully far. A lot of it is just doing that work of sitting down, getting your ass in the chair, having fun, play. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I keep thinking of with Jane Doe, and which I absolutely love, and that you just you just keep seeding it in there is around Jane and coconuts. <laughs> 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 yes, so that's purely because I like coconuts, and, yeah, and I, I love that. on this island. And I just thought, yeah, you know, she 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 has to sneak out from the hollow's basement, and her her ideal thing is to go to the coconut grove and get grab some yeah. coconuts. So um, the, yeah, the, the <laughs> thing of play and just putting, you know, I yeah, it's just brilliant. I love it. Oh, um, thank you. 
Uh, on the show, we also have a shout out question. So how can listeners uh, connect with you on socials? Um, do you have any or, or find out what book events or festivals you're going to? Do you have a website? Uh, yeah, I've got a website, but I very rarely do anything with it. JeremyLachlan.com, I, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm mainly on Instagram at Jeremy.Lachlan. I'm on Twitter at Jeremy Lachlan, but I rarely, I, I took a step back from Twitter a long time ago because it was just yeah. garbage. I, I post the occasional book-related post yeah. of thing. I recently posted just blasting, excuse me, on a tweet because they're awful. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah, so ma- mainly on Instagram. I'm on TikTok as well, which I, I am, again, very lazy with. I just post the occasional Instagram story on there as, as a TikTok. I'm not even sure what my name is. Yeah. I, I think it's at Jeremy Lachlan or at dot Jeremy dot Lachlan. I, I don't know. Well, yeah, we'll put it, we'll put it you up can, on you the show. You can find, you can find it. Research. Yeah. It's on the, yeah, but Instagram's the one I'm most, most common on. In terms of events coming up, I don't have anything for a little while, which I'm very, very happy with because I've had a long kind of tour with Quill of All Tales and I now have that beautiful time where I have a couple of months now to just sit with and dive into book four and it's yeah. so wonderful and terrifying at the same time. Don't disturb him, please, listeners. We need book four. Um, <laughs> and uh, would you like to shout out any LGBTIQA plus artist books, art shows, organisations? Yeah, I, well, I think in terms of uh, writing, definitely check out uh, for some good rom-com stuff. Um, Tobias Madden is uh, mm-hmm. fantastic. In terms of a show, I, I've been loving the other two. So, so great. And oh, I saw Bros the other day, but I wasn't, I wasn't that big of a fan. No, I just love the whole trauma coaster. That was that was hilarious. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was there were some good there were some good moments, but overall, but as I said to mates, I feel like, and this is another thing important about talking about queer art. I feel like because we're still in a point, particularly with with big major release films and all that kind of stuff, there's so few being done that when one does come out, and I feel like books uh, may suffer from this a little bit as well. People want it to tick every box and appeal yeah. to everyone and be everything that we want and, and and kind of really hold it up on a high pedestal. But queer art should be allowed to fail just as much as heteronormative yeah. art. I mean, the amount of straight rom-coms out there that are just awful, but they still do well. Um, I, I feel like it, it's okay that I didn't love Bros a lot. I, yeah, I still, I'm still so glad it's out there. And the same with like the uh, the Eternals, the the Avengers. Um, oh, it yeah. wasn't. Uh, yes, it's a flawed movie, but I do want to champion that story still because it, it is the most diverse cast of superheroes they've had. And I know that there are queer people behind the scenes really trying to get this stuff out there. And if everybody just piles on and slams it, the powers that be are going to say, okay, well, there's no market for this. We won't do it. And because it's also working against those people who actively review, negatively review Bob. Yeah, yes. Because yeah. yeah. the straight man babies in their basements are pissed off because it's ruining their childhood or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's important to just champion and shout out, go and see, read, support yes. as queer art as we can to show people that there is a market out there. There is. Absolutely, absolutely, which is a nice um, uh, lead into our closing question for you, Jeremy Lachlan, which is what is your hope for the LGBTIQA plus community? To be, my hope is obviously to be able to keep living as their authentic, true, beautiful selves. And I, I hope that people who are struggling at the moment to come out uh, know that we're there's no, there's no rush, supportive queer community just waiting to, to welcome you and embrace you. I hope that 
people who are feeling attacked at the moment uh, find some solace and freedom. And I hope that the people attacking them just sit the fuck down uh, and shut up because it's honestly ridiculous that we're dealing with this in 2023. But yeah, just to live their true, authentic, beautiful selves. I love that. Thank you very much, Jeremy. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Please check out our show notes on Words and Nerds, Blarney Books and Art, and rwrmcdonald.com for links, reviews, and the interview transcript. Until next time, this is QWS Podcast.